What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we are going to react to the Associated Press Top 25 as well as my own. And to do that today, I am pleased to be joined by Big Ten Network analyst and Michigan alum, Jake Butt. Jake, how you doing, man? Well, RJ, I'm doing great. And, uh, you know, I got tagged in your post the other day. Didn't have Michigan cracking the top 25. So I made a promise to the Michigan fans. I'm going to I'm here to talk some sense into you. All right. I'm here to talk some sense into you to be the voice of reason. I, I, I have to be unbiased. So I'll just give you what I'm seeing on tape and why I think Michigan deserves some respect. Well, we're certainly going to get into Michigan and what they've shown over the last two, three games, right? Going into UConn, going into game number three. But the news of the day that I think we should start with, right, before we get to that part of the Big Ten Conference, the Big Ten West, in which earlier this afternoon on Sunday when you and I are speaking, Nebraska made the decision to fire its head coach, Scott Frost. What is really interesting about this is that his buyout now is about $16.2 million. It goes down to seven and a half on October 1st. And they did this in the week leading up to what I think is the biggest game on their schedule this season. They get Oklahoma in Lincoln, Nebraska. What are your first thoughts about Scott Frost being relieved of his duties at Nebraska? I mean, listen, you know, I, I'm not here to, you know, to, to kick a guy when he's down. I'm not here to, to question anybody's, you know, love for the game or manhood or anything. But like, frankly, you know, it, it's just the business you live in. There's expectations. It's why you get paid a lot of money as a coach. Um, and, you know, clearly I think Scott Frost would have to tell you himself, you know, that the, the program hadn't lived up to expectations when, when he had been hired there. You know, I remember playing against Bo Pelini, like Nebraska was a steady program, eight, nine wins a year, 10, 10 wins a year. Um, and to me, just the start of the season was, was extremely unfortunate because if you want to win, RJ, it's about sometimes it's about not losing. It's about avoiding these massive mistakes and mental errors and mental lapses in every single game so far this season, there have been significant mental errors and significant times where Nebraska would shoot themselves in the foot. And you're just, it just leaves you shaking your head. Like where, where is the message being lost here? So clearly it wasn't good enough. Now I'll say this, you bring up the point of Nebraska going into Oklahoma at some point, you know, this could potentially be a good thing short term for the program because all of a sudden, man, you know, the locker room, the guys in the locker room, they're on social media. They know the pressure of the moment. They know the, the narratives surrounding the program. And now you, some of that pressure is relieved a little bit. Now you truly have nothing to lose. You can go out there and play free a little bit. So do I think they have any shot of beating Oklahoma this year? No. But, you know, some of the, sometimes these things, a, a change can be a good thing. It is an interesting time at Nebraska, and it seems to have been interesting for the past five years there. I'd also add in here that, as you mentioned, Nebraska hasn't looked good at all this season. First with the loss to Northwestern after being up 11, the controversial decision to have an onside kick there, then playing with fire against the University of North Dakota, not North Dakota State, and then taking this 45-42 to 42 L to Georgia Southern in what would have normally been a money-in-the-bag segment turns into a Scott Frost's fired segment. But to your point, you seem to have some new life. They have elevated Mickey Joseph to be the interim head coach, the wide receiver coach brought in this year. Coincidentally, the first black person to be a head coach at the University of Nebraska in any capacity. 
I think that he's going to be coaching for the job this season. I'd really be interested to see how this goes. But it also, I think, is going to clear the hierarchy. And I wonder what you think about this in that now we know who the interim head coach is. We know who the offensive coordinator is. There's been some controversy about who is calling the plays. We get to know that the defense knows that Mickey Joseph knows whether or not they're any good. And he's going to give them a clean slate. How would you go into this week as a player, but also how would you want your coaches to respond to you going into this week in which you're going to face a top 10 Oklahoma? Well, you say you talk about clearing the hierarchy, and I think this goes beyond even the game of football. It's kind of human nature. Humans like certainty. We like clarity. We try to make the world black and white when it's often not. In this case, yeah, now you said clear the hierarchy. Okay, listen, now we know who our head coach is. There's no our, – our new interim head coach, there's no talk of him losing his job anytime soon. There's, there's no head coach controversy. We got our coordinator figured out. You truly have nothing to lose at this point. And I think when adversity strikes, this is true in life. There's a fork in the road. Okay. So on one end, you can have guys throw in the towel and say, well, you know, season's over. This is it. I don't care anymore. On the other end, you can say, hey, guys, like this is this is it. Like everyone's counting us out. Clearly, we're not playing good. This is our chance to band together. We're going up against a team that no one's going to give us a chance to beat. Why not just leave it all out there? Why not just try to play our best game this season? We truly have nothing to lose. Will that be enough? I don't know. But what you're looking for, Nebraska, is just to put out better tape, less mistakes, more consistency, like just the fundamentals, gap gap sound defense, tackling when you have the opportunity to do it, special teams, you know, the mistakes on special teams, cleaning that up. So again, you just, you don't need to play your best football yet, but you have to stop playing your worst football and clean up some of these mistakes if you want to give yourself a chance. Perhaps I am looking at this with a glass half full, but we still are in the non-conference portion of the schedule for Nebraska. And for me, Minnesota has demonstrated itself to be the best team in the Big Ten West so far, but we see a lot of movement in the middle of that field. Do you think that Nebraska could win the Big Ten West? No, <laughs> to be completely honest with you, I just can't. And to, to for them, yeah, we, we've seen some struggle. We saw Wisconsin last week, just a shocking, shocking upset. But they're light years ahead of Nebraska, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Iowa, again, same thing. It's like, hey, you know, maybe you want to put Nebraska there in the middle of the pack with the, those two teams I just mentioned. Iowa is light years ahead of Nebraska. Their defense is so sound. And with that defense, as ugly as some games are going to be this year, they will be in every game just because of how sound that defense is. Um, I mean, they lost to Northwestern already. So you're already in the West. You're 0-1 in the West to start. So you're behind the eight ball. I don't know that they're built to overcome it. And frankly, like, again, I just don't think this that, that should even be in their mindset right now. Like, you cannot focus far out. This team is not afforded that luxury. You have to focus on the smallest possible detail in the very next moment. That's it for them. That's all because they, they haven't done that yet. Just for all 11 guys on offense and defense, focus on your assignment, your first step, your eye placement, your hand placement. This is going back to middle school football. Do start doing that well and do it consistently. From there, you can build on it. But until you do that, you shouldn't be looking ahead. You definitely shouldn't start saying, hey, we want to be Big Ten West champions because you haven't played like that yet. Perhaps that is one of the finer points of being a player in that the silver lining is I get to put blinders on. I get to do my job. 
put my hands where they're supposed to go, let my feet follow, play football from play to play. But as a fan, you're already looking to 2023. You're already going, okay, what do we have to do as a program to return to the kind of play that we had in the early aughts, let alone the 1990s when Nebraska was one of the best teams in college football? It's, it should be an attractive job for anybody. You know, they have resources. They're a program that has history of success. I mean, they, they have ball players too. They are not a bad team. They are playing like a bad team right now. Uh, and again, yeah, they have resources. They will be able to financially secure a good coach. The question is here is I think programs go through change in intervals. So it's not going to say, hey, Nebraska's playing bad football down here. Let's hire a guy. And all of a sudden we're championship contenders. This isn't Lincoln Riley at USC. And even that's going to take time. You're, whoever this coach is next, you have to stabilize this thing because it's not really an attractive place for recruits right now. And recruiting is the lifeblood of your organization. So when you come in there, you have to have strong messages, strong leadership, a strong brand to get this program, the public view of this program back on track from then there, you need to start winning some ball games. Don't need to win 10, 11 games yet, but win seven, eight, nine games. That should be your goal here in the next year or two. And all of a sudden, you can sell recruits on a little vision. Hey, we're knocking on the door. We just need a player like you to come in here and tip us over the edge. So whoever it is, it's going to happen in steps. It's not, it's, it's not overnight. Rome wasn't built in a day, right? It's interesting in that I understand that Nebraska is already going to have feelers out. And I would, right? You just fired a guy. That means you're going to have to hire someone new. Maybe it is Mickey Joseph. Maybe that is the person to lead you into the future. But as I look around, I watched Alabama and Texas yesterday, and I saw a Texas defense that I have not seen in years. And the only thing that I can see different on that staff is the addition of Gary Patterson as the special assistant to the head coach. And I know what kind of a defensive mind he was at Texas Christian and him being able to put his strategy into place and to help Pete Kwiatkowski call an outstanding game against a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback with a dynamic array of weapons was outstanding. If you Great can point. go make a run at a guy like Gary Patterson, I think you could do that. Deion Sanders at Jackson State has been doing phenomenally well. I believe that they are going to go through the rest of their schedule undefeated. That would mean they've had one loss in the last two years. You can keep going down the list here. Defensive coordinator at Wisconsin and Jim Leonard, who's done nothing but turn them into one of the better defenses in football for at yeah. least what feels Good like point. a decade now. You have options here. It's about can you recruit someone that does not necessarily come with the baggage of, hey, we need someone that can do what Scott Frost couldn't do because we're used to hiring someone that is the opposite of our ex because that's usually how it goes. But I'm not going to fault Nebraska fans for wanting to reach for the stars. And I think that they could go get someone that has the kind of panache and reputation as a Lincoln Riley, who chose to make that decision, by the way. He yeah. chose to leave an Oklahoma team that went 11 games to go to a program that won four last year. So I don't think it's out of the question for them yeah. to reach for the sky. And if someone looked at Nebraska and looked at its tradition and understood how badly they want to win, I think that's a very attractive place for them to be. What do you think? Uh, no, you're 100% right. Always reach for the stars, you know, a re reach for the stars within the, the reason of the resources you have. And once again, Nebraska, they, they have a rich tradition of winning. They are a prideful football team and organization. They have a prideful fan base. It's different than USC because from an NIL standpoint, from a transfer standpoint, probably from a national brand standpoint, you know, USC 
is probably ahead of Nebraska in that sense. I don't think that's necessarily a hot take, but you know, again, they Nebraska has the resources. And again, they don't have a bad team. Like this is not like you're inheriting a complete and utter dumpster fire. They are playing bad football right now. I think Casey Thompson, like he's shown good things at quarterback. They have some good weapons. It's just been, to me, it's Nebraska. It's like sometimes the offense shows up, but then the special team screws you or the defense is playing good. And then the offense has turnovers or, hey, you know, maybe the offense playing all right, but then the defense gets smoked. It's like it hasn't all come together. Well, to get something to come together, that's your head coach's job is to take a piece, a piece, a piece, a piece and gel it all together. So I'd imagine it's an attractive job. Again, I'd imagine they're throwing around multiple seven figures to, to go out there and, and get a guy and get this thing back on track. I'm going to be very interested to see how this turns out for Nebraska. Uh, USC was able to get ahead of the game in a very real way last year, letting Clay Helton go in September of last year too, ends up with Lincoln Riley. But a team that has found its footing is very much looking like it's going to settle on starting quarterback in J.J. McCarthy. Your Michigan Wolverines, you called this game, this 56-10 to 10 win for Michigan against Hawaii. My first question is, how do you evaluate a quarterback when the spread is 52 points. What are you looking for from J.J. McCarthy that led you to believe that Jim Harbaugh made the right decision to start him against UConn? I mean, so, yeah, they're going to face much better defenses than Hawaii. That program is a program in complete tradition uh, transition right now. So you have to go out there and have a successful day, okay? That's the minimum. All right, hey, you did what you did. You put up points. You drove the offense down the field. But from there, you're looking at the intangibles. JJ's accuracy, okay? There's a different, there's a, no two completed passes are the same, RJ. Where is the ball placement is the key, right? And there, he was so accurate downfield. I don't think, I didn't see one missed throw the entire day. Every single ball was on point. The only, you know, the only drop early in the game was a, a pass that hit Ronnie Bell square in the numbers. So his accuracy, was high level. He was getting through his reads, um, his ability to move in the pocket and step up and make off schedule throws as well as make the easy on schedule throws. And, and you could see in this game, the way he affects the defense. I had the chance to talk to Jacob Euro, the Hawaii defensive coordinator before the game. And again, he knew, you know, this is the, the, the Hawaii, Hawaii defense was outmatched, but he said, Hey, we're going to try to take away one thing that Michigan does best. And that was understanding J.J. likes to run the ball. So a couple times in the game, they committed their safeties as spies to come down, especially on first and second down. Well, Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss, Michigan's offensive coordinators, knew this. So they show the play action, and they're able to take shots down the field. That was Roman Wilson on a big touchdown early in the game, and J.J. showed the play action, stood tall in the pocket, delivered an accurate strike. Of course, Roman was wide, wide open. It was like routes first air, but showing a complete knowledge of the system. And then one play that is completely insignificant and no one cares about it. Michigan was driving and they're going down into the red zone and being in Jim Harbaugh's offense, it's complex. He likes to run a lot of shifts, a lot of motions. They put a lot about a lot on the quarterback pre-snap. So JJ gets in shotgun and he sends his tight end Luke Schoonmaker in motion and Luke Schoonmaker. He comes all the way across the formation and JJ says, Hey, Luke, 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 get back over there on the left side. Like, Hey, you're not supposed to be over here. Go over here and line up on the left side. And, and Luke was like, okay, you're right. Luke goes back 
off the ball to the left side of the offensive line. They snap the ball and Luke and the guard pull around. It's a bread and butter play. So completely insignificant, went over most people's head. But to me, that's that says JJ is locked in on everything pre-snap. He's helping veteran players get lined up so they can execute their job and execute their role. A little, little thing, but listen, we saw the arm talent. That's only part of the game. To me, that play says, hey, JJ's locked in mentally and understanding and grasping the full offensive scheme. 11 to 12 for 229 pass yards, three TDs. That's that's good work, even against Hawaii and what you might call routes on air. Looking right. at the Michigan schedule, them being the defending Big Ten champion, I thought that this was a move that needed to be made in the preseason. It's very loud about it. Like like seeing J.J. McCarthy play, and I think J.J. McCarthy could be one of the better quarterbacks to play in this sport. And I liken yeah. him coming in ahead of a Cade McNamara to Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. That said, I'd like to know from you, when do you think your Michigan Wolverines are going to be tested for the first time this season? You bring up a good point with Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. Jim Harbaugh also said, remember, Bama won a national championship with Tulia Tugabailoa uh, and Jalen Hurts, you know, and Jim also had Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. So he's dealt with this situation before. I, I personally thought he handled it well. The first test is Maryland is not a bad ball team now. Maryland's got some playmakers. They got a, they got a stud quarterback in Talia Tugabailoa to his brother. They have weapons on the outside. They're able to run the ball. So they can put up some points now, and that will be the ultimate test. I mean, they're, they, they're, they're, a, they're a team that's, you know, probably doesn't have the total talent as a Michigan, but they're definitely going to test you. The real test for me, RJ, is going on the road at Iowa night game at Kinnick. You know, I played there my senior year in 2016. We were undefeated. We were the number two team in the country. We had Iowa outmatched from top to bottom of the roster. Should have been a game we ran away with. Magic happened somehow at Kinnick Knight Stadium. Now, I know Iowa's offense is extremely unexplosive, and they have some serious, serious problems, and that's probably to say the least. But, again, it's a team that plays Really, really sound defense, and sound defense is going to keep you in every game. If they can get the run game going, if they can get some type of offensive identity, all of a sudden, man, they what they do really well and how they beat us in 16 was by running the ball almost like a triple option military school where they just wear on your defense and run the clock down and lull you to sleep. And, you know, as an offense, we were on the sideline for eight, nine, ten minutes, some drives. It, it wears you out. So they, they are built to scare some teams in that sense by making a game boring. Um, I think that'll be an ultimate test for them. This team is going to be undefeated. Now they're ranked. They're going to have a target on their back. They're going to be feeling good about themselves. That provides another element of danger there early in your Big Ten play with both Maryland and Kinnick, uh, Iowa at Kinnick. I'm very interested in this Michigan-Iowa game. If for no other reason than it is uh... – Another addition on top of the Big Ten championship game we got to watch last year. But to your point about Iowa's defense, I feel very much the same way. They took a loss against Iowa State in the Cy Hawk in-state rivalry game. That's always fascinating, 10 to 7. One way to look at that game is that Iowa still only scored one offensive touchdown in the last two games. The other way to look at that is the defense keeps them in a game and against a team like the Michigan Wolverines, where they also would like to be able to run the ball and run the ball with some measure of success. 
I'm interested in a boring game. I'm interested in one in which it's decided by the offensive and defensive lines. And I yeah. think that you are absolutely correct in that. Yeah. I was going to grind you down because that's who they are. It's a team that has never once struggled with an identity crisis. They know exactly who they are supposed to be and how they are supposed to play. And I think that's what you want for most college football programs. One of the other games I thought was very interesting yesterday, Saturday, it's a night game. It's SEC East competition. We had a ranked Florida versus a ranked Kentucky. Mark Stoops is able to get his 60th win against everybody, uh, becoming the school's leader for wins ahead of Paul Bear Bryant. He was grateful to be at Kentucky for that long. But I also thought this was interesting to see how Florida would play. And I came away wondering two things. The first one is, which of these quarterbacks is the better one? Because I went in there thinking that Anthony Richardson was something like a Cam Newton light. But yeah. Will Levis showed me a lot, especially as a dude that puts mayonnaise in his coffee, that he <laughs> can go out there and play a little ball. What did you see from the quarterback plays? And what did you think about the game in general? Um, yeah, as far as the quarterbacks go, I don't think any of them played a career day. You know, just looking at the stat line, I think that's that's pretty, pretty apparent to both guys. Um, for Richardson, you know... I, he played a great game week one and he made all these big highlight plays and, and you go in there and, and you, you take on Utah and you upset them. And all of a sudden they're crowning you King. The challenge is then you now have to repeat. And uh, it seemed like last week took a little bit of a regression. This is the hard part though, as we were talking pregame, you know, early in the season, it's still speculation at that, at this point, you know, you have a very, very small sample size to know how good a team is. So, yeah, Florida went out there and, and, you know, beat Utah. And all of a sudden they jump in these rankings. Well, you know, they didn't they didn't look as good this week. And um, on the flip side for Kentucky, you know, Will Levis is a quarterback. A lot of guys are high on um, and he's got my I, I, his coordinator is Rich Gangrillo, a guy I spent time with in Denver who comes from the San Francisco 49ers trees. He's a good, good football mind. Um, but it, not much was asked of him yesterday. He's 13 of 24 for one touchdown and one interception. Just, just a very, very average day. But you win the ball game, and at the end of the day, the most important stat for quarterbacks is to win your ball game. I thought Kentucky's offensive line kind of helped him out, especially down the second half. But establishing a run game is so important too, um, as you talk about it for so many of these teams. We talked about it with Iowa, Michigan. You know, the ability to run the ball actually is one way you improve your quarterback. You don't just say, hey, well, we want our quarterback to play better. Let's throw it 20 more times a game. Maybe it's to have a violent and explosive run game, which says, hey, defenses are going to have to commit defenders downhill. And then from there, you're going to have better matchups and better numbers to threaten the defense vertically in the passing game. 26 to 16 for this win for Kentucky. They get their first back-to-back -back wins against Florida since 1976-1977. For me, Kentucky is beginning to look like the team I thought Texas A&M would be. Mm. But is that team good enough to challenge the Georgia Bulldogs for the SEC East division title? I don't think any, you know, no. <laughs> no, I think Georgia, I mean, my goodness, the, the, the what they did week one against Oregon, it looked like they were in another stratosphere. I mean, everything they lost on defense, and it, they just reloaded, man. Offensively, I think it's time we start to give Stetson Bennett his flowers because he looked beyond a game manager. And, and, and that Oregon defense has some guys now. They returned a lot of starters. They're, they're not a pushover team. 
whatsoever. But Stetson Bennett, you know, your quarterback is such a big portion of your team's success. And, you know, he looked, again, beyond a game manager, stepping up and making throws. And my goodness, you know, me being a tight end, I got to give a shout out to those guys, uh, Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, that that group is so, so explosive. And having a strong tight end group, it's maybe not as sexy as, as Heisman candidate, candidate receivers, but when you have guys and you can get into 13 personnel and violently run the ball because your tight ends are 250, 260, 270, and can road grade your defensive ends and linebackers. But then they're so athletic that you're in 13 personnel, you can flex out into empty formation. And all of a sudden you have linebackers and safeties guarding big, strong, fast, explosive tight ends. It presents so many challenges for opposing defenses. And then again, their defense is just violent, violent. That that front just continually to reload um, and, and make life really, really tough on opposing offensive lines. To me, just from a talent standpoint, top to bottom, they're just at a different level. I, I just can't see a world in which Kentucky seriously challenges them. It seems to be very simple and mundane when we look at it this way and that Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, what have you, our teams that we're always going to think Clemson are always going to think going to make the college football playoff. But one of the reasons that I'm interested in how you view Georgia, but also how you view Kentucky is they're doing this without Chris Rodriguez, who rushed for 1,379 yards last year and quiet as it's kept, led the SEC in rushing. He didn't play against Florida. He hasn't played at all this season for Kentucky. And I think he makes them a better football team. So hopefully he'll be back by the time they play Georgia and we get to see, I think a better Kentucky maybe challenge a Georgia team that reveals a bit of, let's say, complexity to them. Uh, And as far as Stetson Bennett getting his flowers, hey, man, he got a national championship. He's got flowers enough as far as I'm concerned. I'm still a little bit bitter about the 2018 Rose Bowl. A couple other games uh, that were played late last night, one in particular that I know we have to touch on, number 21 Brigham Young defeats number nine Baylor 26 to 20 in overtime in Provo. What's your takeaway from that game? What do you think about BYU? Yeah, well, you know, you find out a lot about a team when it's when they're tested. And I know I got the chance to talk to BYU's head coach, and he mentioned last year, you know, they when they played Baylor, he felt they got out physical, and he told that to his roster. This year, they returned a lot of guys in that perspective. That bad taste was still in their mouth. I thought that they played a physical game. I thought they played a clean game, and you know, your back's against the wall against a very good Baylor football team. I mean, that that team is, you know, in some some people's eyes, it's the favorite to win the Big 12. You know, that's a good team. And they're challenged, but they answered the challenge. And, you know, this team's playing really good team football right now. Their schedule sets up where they kind of have a, a, a tough schedule here, kind of a gauntlet with some of their matchups coming up. But all of a sudden, this should give them confidence can you get a little bit of momentum? And then, hey, this is a team that I think could be a dark horse to be knocking on the door of the college football playoff. And I think we'll look back at this game as one of the big moments in their season if they do make a serious run and what it did for their confidence. BYU knocks off its first top 10 opponent since 2018 when they defeated number six, Wisconsin. That's fascinating and really insightful from you talking about what Kalani Sataki was trying to get out of his team going into 2022 when they get to play Baylor once again. Uh, Last topic for us on the rundown is the injury to Quinn Ewers has revealed a clavicle sprain that is going to keep him out 
two to three weeks, according to Fox Sports' Bruce Feldman. That means that Hudson Card is going to start games against UTSA, Texas Tech, and West Virginia. What do you think Texas has to do, and how crucial is it for Quinn Ewers to get back to being their QB1? I, I mean, it's it's pretty crucial because I he was playing pretty good ball. You know, and they were moving they were moving the ball well and – I thought he showed a lot, you know, that Bama defense is tough and physical and for him to be such a young fella early in his career, he was putting some really, really good things on tape. The offensive line overall, Texas really answered the challenge. I think they should be, there's no moral victories in football, but they did some really nice things on film that they should say, Hey, we can build off of this going forward. Um, yeah. You need to get yours back. He's your starter. He's, he's your future. Clearly, they're, they're excited about him and what he can do. And he's only going to get better with the reps. But at this point, the team says, hey, we need a we need a it's the next man up. That's football. Injuries happen. You still got to go out there and find a way to win. So um, try to I think they can realistically win these games, RJ. I think there's a it's a fair thing to say, hey, we can go three and oh while we get yours healthy and get him back to try to make a run down the stretch of this season. But I think they're going to look back at that game and. Some of those young guys, the, 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 the youthful offensive line of Texas, um, Ewers when he was in there, the defense you mentioned, defense played phenomenal, phenomenal. Just the corner blitz, man, it's just that's a, potentially a Heisman moment there for Bryce Young. It's players making plays, but for the most part, they were really making Young uncomfortable in the pocket. Some of those blitzes were, were dialed up and executed really, really well, so even with it being a loss, Bama had, in my eyes, such a more talented roster, but Texas didn't blink. They didn't back down. A lot of those young guys seemed prepared and ready to take on that challenge. I'm very interested to see how this run goes for Texas. I think UTSA can be for them what they were for Alabama. It's a good football team, the Roadrunners. Texas Tech upsets a top 25 Houston and West Virginia gave Pittsburgh everything they want. And then, oh, by the way, They'll play my Oklahoma Sooners in the Red River rivalry, the first edition for which we'll get to see Brent Venables be head coach of Oklahoma. I want to thank you, Jake Bug, Big Ten Network analyst and Michigan alumnus, outstanding tight end at Michigan, for joining me here on the number one college football show. Thanks so much, Jake. Thanks, RJ. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My Thanks, as always, to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all in a couple of days. Deuces.